Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. I'm excited today. We're combining two things I like, the law and bike riding. You like the law? This is like a new side of you. Well, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do with my life and still can't, I guess. But uh, yeah, I I was pretty seriously considering going to law school. This is a whole new side of Peter that I have never heard about before. Well, I had a couple really good teachers in grade school, so I was very fortunate with that. And the one, I think it was actually a criticism, or, or a, he was pointing out that I like to argue. Oh, oh yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Which I'm, I think I'm lawyers, back on board. I think lawyers roll their eyes when people say like, "Oh, you like to argue? You should be a lawyer," because that's not what being a lawyer is all about. But he suggested that I should go into law. So You would be the world's worst lawyer because you would 100% like make this amazing case, beautiful argument, just perfect. And then the judge would be like, oh, my God, I'm going to award you the win. And you'd be like, wait a second. We should Let consider me the alternative perspective. Yep. Yep. Well, who knows? Yeah. Didn't go down that path. It did not go but down that path. it may not be too late. Yes, it is. It is definitely <laughs> too late for you. However, uh, today's guest, Ian Brisman, did in fact go down that path. He is a lawyer. He's a personal injury lawyer who actually is working more and more with cyclists here in Ontario. Uh, he actually runs velolaw.ca now where he's talking all about uh, you know different legal matters for cyclists. He's a passionate cyclist advocate. And of course, he is actually a cyclist himself. He is currently training for Ironman and has done, you know, lots of cycling, lots of running, all that kind of stuff over the years. Uh, And honestly, this conversation was just so good. Like we talked about everything from, you know, the more practical like bike law stuff that we're going to get into and how to handle if you're in a collision with a car or, uh, you know, you get hit by a driver, uh, you know, you're dealing with the cops, all those kind of things. But we also talked about more of his athletic journey and, uh, you know, bit of bit of philosophy, a little bit of that. Uh, how, how does a, a lawyer make time to train for an Ironman? How does anyone make time to train for an Ironman? I'm still not sure. And we've trained for Ironmen, Ironmans, men. I don't know. Whatever yeah. the plural of Iron Man is. Multiple, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's a really fun conversation. And uh, as we say towards the end of it, I think we're going to have to have him back on to answer some audience questions because we, we had so many directions we could have gone that we didn't get into, whether we're talking about... Uh, you know, mandatory helmet laws or light, you know, light, light laws. Like if you need a light on your bike front Mm. and back. Sure. Bells and everything else. Yeah. So maybe how how maybe people can respond either in the direct messages or using the contact page at consummateathlete.com. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you can head over to the show notes page, even drop in the comments there. And we get some good ones, but you know, what would be an example here? It'd be like, one time I was riding on the wrong side of the road on the sidewalk and a car hit me. Can I sue them? Would that be a question? I mean, I guess it would be. Okay. Well, there's a sample question. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, whether it's more of a general one, um, you know, a lot of what we're talking about isn't necessarily like a hundred percent like how do i handle this exact situation because it's going to change from state to state city to city okay. uh, law wise but i think the how can i handle the situation like you know what information do i need where do i start i think those are questions that we can definitely answer and actually what ian has done for us is put together a pdf of just something you can print out you can write your your details on it and it kind of has the what to do if you're in 
a collision with a car. Uh, so if a situation arises with a driver, here's this you know super easy PDF that you can have in your saddlebag or your top tube bag or your burrito bag or wherever that just has kind of all the information that you need, both your personal information and then a quick little handy dandy uh, steps, you know, one through one through ten. Uh, how to handle it because as we talk about it's so hard in those situations to know exactly what to do or you just have so much so much adrenaline pumping so much going on that it's so easy to miss these critical steps that can make a huge difference later Uh, we both uh, laughed in a way that we're pretty sad about it Uh, we've both been in altercations with drivers where we've gotten hit by a driver and then we've both defaulted to assuring the driver that we were okay because the driver was upset and I think that's actually a totally natural reaction, same as yelling at the driver is. Uh, it just kind of depends on like who you are. Uh, and y- neither neither that reassuring reaction nor just getting in, you know, going into a towering rage is going to really help the situation. Sure. Uh, so you know, having this this little tool in your in your bag about what exactly to do can be really helpful. So if you head over to the show notes, we'll have the PDF available for download right there. So that's over at consummateathlete.com. And before we get into this episode with Ian Brisbane, we're just going to take a quick second to thank our sponsor for this episode, Athletic Greens, with their awesome AG1, a very, very tasty uh, greens powder, but not just a greens powder. It has 75 vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, superfoods, probiotics, minerals, all that fun stuff. Uh, to help your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, all that stuff, all the things. Uh, we've been taking it, we've been using it since quite a few months now. And honestly, I I love it. Um, tastes great, feels great. <laughs> things are going well. Yeah, and we like that it has an NSF rating. Uh, so it's got that third party to make sure that what's in it is what they say is in it. And, uh, you know, that there's not as... You know, the risk of doping and, and so forth. Uh, and then I always talk about, I like that it has, you know, lots of the good stuff and then we can move on and start, you know, doing the training, doing the movement, getting to sleep uh, and not, you know, looking up the next magic supplement. Exactly. I think so many people can spend so much time just perusing the the aisles online or in real life That's for, right. you know, this pile of supplements. And I know, you know, it's it's not cheap, but at the same time, it's actually cheaper than if you're taking three or four supplements. Yeah, this up. covers, you know, there's some multivitamin aspect to it. There's greens aspect to it. There's some probiotics aspect, adaptogens. There's lots of these things, you know, that you might be looking for in a supplement. Also, frankly, it tastes really good. So if you're someone who used to drink orange juice in the morning, uh, I actually think this is a really solid... Uh, or trying to stop drinking, to stop you drinking know, sweet stuff juice. in the morning. It's great. Yeah. And, and I think if you've done greens powder and gone away from it because of the taste, you know that's understandable but i do think that this especially with the shaker bottle is is actually quite pleasant yeah i keep calling it like a papaya vanilla citrus kind of vibe and i think that that's pretty accurate so yeah if you're looking for something tasty something to start the day and feel good about what you're doing for yourself definitely check out ag1 by athletic greens and to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you one free a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d weirdly deliciously tasty as well it's just a little dropper bottle um vitamin d is fat soluble so it comes uh in an oil form and it has like a light cucumber flavor almost i don't know how to totally describe it but you get that and you get five free travel packs with your first purchase and let me tell you the travel packs are so nice to have when you're on the road especially as most of us are getting back to business travel 
uh, having that for when you're, you know, eating pizza and drinking beers or, you know, steak and wine, whatever kind of business travel you're doing. It's nice to, to have those along sure. for the and ride. These are the nice things to have in the, you know, airplane travel or your mm-hmm. gear bag. If you do get, you know, stuck in an airport for an extra day or something, right? It's maybe nice to, to supplement the, the fries and whatever else you're going to end up eating. Exactly. So all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. Again, athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. Just much easier than trying to spell consummate. Uh, And also it's M-O-L-L-Y-H. None of this I-E crap. (laughs) Nice variation. Thought I should throw that out there. Uh, you can do that. Athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. Now let's get into this podcast with Ian Brisbane. All right, Ian, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. So before we get into all of the lawyering questions here, uh, why don't you give us just a little bit of your mini athletic background for, for our listeners? <laughs> well, um, my... Uh... Athletic background was primarily in team sports. Um, I sort of did everything that didn't constitute hockey or football for the most part in uh, in high school. And then I played uh, varsity basketball when I was in university. Um, and it was, I think, late in my undergraduate degree and uh, early in law school when I first started to realize that sport and movement played some sort of a role in my emotional health as well as, as my physical health. And so at that time, that was when I first started to get into road running. And um, ultimately, a, a, a good friend then and now uh, introduced me early in law school to um, cycling. So um, I'd, I'd ridden my entire life, but in terms of actually sort of falling in love with it, um, getting me out on some proper trails around Kingston, Ontario was uh uh, a big part of, of getting me sort of where I am today. Um, and then once I graduated from law school, I was fortunate when I first started working uh, through my articling term and then early in my law career to just fall in with a social group of runners in uh, in Hamilton, where I live. And as a result, you know, at that stage, uh, as I'm sure lots of people can relate to, um, every weekend was uh, was a PB, so it was easy to get excited. And I was pretty much, you know, competing. I, I always hesitate to say racing, but competing pretty much every weekend in the summer and most of the rest of the year as well. And uh, and I found that that was really sort of critical to my ability to manage the stresses of my working life. And um and from that point, I've, I've moved on to more uh, more road racing and uh, lots of cycling and uh, recently branched into triathlon as well. I love it. Do you feel like a lot of lawyers are endurance athletes? I feel like the more I'm in these endurance sports, like the longer the distance or like the crazier the race, the more likely it is that someone's a doctor or a lawyer. It's always these super type A high profile jobs. It does sort of seem that way, doesn't it? Uh, I, I kind of hesitate to speculate as to why that might be, but I think it, it it probably does have some sort of tie into the sort of driven personalities that you're you're referring to. Um, these I, I, I often find that uh, at, at this stage of life, I'm in my late forties, that you know there's a, a bit of a contrast between people who are there because they love to do and 
people who are there because they love to compete. And um, I, at least in my experience, I find that in particular, a lot of lawyers are still very driven by the competition aspect of it. Um, and uh, and I, I think that's probably probably part of what scratches that itch. Yeah, you know, it's funny on the episode we actually will have put out, I guess, the week before this episode goes live, we were talking about the the whole concept of it's once you're in that competitive mindset, it's very hard to click out of it and just ride your bike or just run or just swim, bike and run. It has to be this like competitive element or it, it almost like doesn't count. It's a very interesting conundrum. <laughs> It, it absolutely is. And, and that, I think, sort of dovetails with, with a lot of things that I, I think we'll probably get into later on. But but in in the sense that, it, you know, the, the measuring stick by which you're determining competitiveness, uh, at least in my experience, changes over time. You know, are you are you competing against other competitors? Are you doing the golf thing and competing against the course? Uh, are you competing against a 10 year younger than you version of yourself? Um, and, and, and though all of those things have, um, you know, it's, there, there are some cautionary tales attached to all of them. Uh, and, uh, so I, I, I think in a lot of cases, uh, this sort of needs to, in order to be successful in our uh, amateur athletic careers, I think a big part of it is is looking back and saying, why are we doing this? You know, it's pretty much every event I'm in, at some point I'm turning to someone on the course and commenting on what a stupid way this is for us to spend our time away from work. Uh, You know, it's always tongue, it's always, it's always tongue in cheek, of course, but at, at the same time, I, I think increasingly, the older I get, the more I think that you really have to look within yourself and say, why am I doing this? Am I doing this out of rote because this is what I identify myself as? Or am I trying to, again, uh, work on my emotional health, my physical health? Um, you know, what, what, what need does that, does that feed? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You and I are of a, of a mind on that. That's very similar to the post I just did a couple weeks ago. The, what are you trying to prove? I think is this question that we don't often ask ourselves. I keep saying like, we always talk about our why and it's this very often like noble esoteric reason. Uh, but I think that what are you trying to prove is probably a bit more honest if, uh, if we're all being honest. I think that's a- <laughs> I yeah I think that's I honestly I think that's just a brilliant point and I'd even take it one step further to what are we trying to prove and at least as importantly to whom are we trying to prove it Oh my gosh exactly exactly and often it kind of I feel like it comes back to like a critical parent a you know coach that told you you weren't going to be able to do a thing uh, you know your your spouse not being fully supportive of whatever it is that you're just so many things that if we actually get honest about it that can really change our enjoyment of it I think in the the long run I I, I think you're right it, it, it's um it, it, in the long run in the short run, those can be some uncomfortable questions. Uh, but, you know, once, you know, as I, I often say to friends, uh, you know, I mean, once you start flipping over those rocks, you're, you're not necessarily going to like what you find. Uh, but, but, but it's an important exercise to go through and, and to know your why and, uh, and you know, to, to recognize to, and to make sure that it's, it's a healthy pursuit that you're, that you're undergoing. I, 
I did um, my first Ironman in, in 2019, and, and that was for all sorts of different reasons. I think if I had to choose the single most challenging year of my life, and I really, uh, in, in retrospect, really should have quit. I really shouldn't have gone through with it. I, was, I wasn't able to prepare the way I wanted to. And so the goal shifting happened. I was I was fortunately working with uh, with uh, Kevin McKinnon, a, a great coach, and and you know he was able to to work with me to adjust my expectations in a way that uh, you know th- that were that were realistic yet still ambitious. And you know the day before that was his his sort of parting comment was to me was that you know you're you're going to learn a lot about yourself out on that course tomorrow, and you know you're not going to like all of it. And, uh, and that's absolutely true, but just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not important to, to know. Yeah, arguably more important to know, really. <laughs> it is. Facing up to uncomfortable truths is, is uh, frankly, I think that's one of the real benefits of sport. You know, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position to challenge ourselves, to push ourselves, to, uh, you know, learn to be comfortable with discomfort, um, pain management, recognizing the difference between pain and injury, all of those sorts of things. And, uh, and we're doing it in a relatively safe, relatively controlled space. So, uh, so I, I, that's one of the, one of the things that sort of continues to push me a little bit is, is it's a part of life that no matter how old you get, it still has that little bit of wildness in it. Um, and, and allows you to, to learn a ton about yourself under stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of under stress um, and uncomfortable things that we have to admit, you're a very busy guy. Lawyers tend to be. Uh, can we can we give some maybe tips about how to train for you know an Ironman or whatever big race you're going for while while lawyering? I'm gonna say, <laughs> like, what did it look like? What did you learn? What do you do differently than you did? Uh, when you, you first started, and I imagine you probably did what we all do and just tried to throw volume at everything and just cram it all. And, and what lessons am I still trying to teach myself as I'm currently training for my second? Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, that that is a tough question, but it's also one that I think is is deceptively simple. And it's it's if anybody's looking for manna from heaven in terms of advice here. Um, unfortunately, I think the advice is pretty straightforward in what you'd think. Um, in my experience, and again, you know, I, I'm somebody, I've been practicing law for 20 years. I've got a family. I've got this. I've got lots of, you know, I do a lot of uh, public interest advocacy work and, and volunteering and that sort of thing. So there's a lot. And even in this block of training, I'm finding myself still surprised to learn for about the umpteenth time that you just have to book it like any other appointment. Um, I, I, I fall, uh, off, um, the proverbial wagon when the night before I just sort of say, ah, I'll get to that run sometime tomorrow when I can get to it. Um, that, especially when you're dealing with something that is so high volume and, and really is a lifestyle change, not, you know, you're not, you're not training for, for a 5k in your spare time. You really have to make it um, regimented and, and give yourself that, that push to take that first step or first pedal stroke, um, you know, when you don't want to. 
and uh, and knowing that this is the block of time that I have to do this, I think is is sort of the uh, the key touchstone that um, that I learn over and over and over again. Uh, so I'd, I'd say that's the single biggest thing. The, the other thing that I'd, uh, that I'd say, and I know this is something that, uh, that you and Peter talk about a lot in, in the time as I've listened is, is the importance of your equipment and your, uh, clothing and basically having stuff ready. Um, you know, not, not being in the position where you go down and, you know, oh, the you know the 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 bike computer isn't charged, or um, you know, oh yeah, I forgot to you know I don't have any um, I don't have a bathing suit that's you know clean or whatever. Um, it's important to have gear that you like. Uh, it's important to have gear that's ready and uh, pre-packed if possible. Uh, ultimately, you're just trying to remove as many obstacles as you possibly can. Because those obstacles, when they pop up, those molehills can become mountains when you're uh, looking to, to, like I say, shove yourself out the door when you might very well reason not to. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as you said, when you're so regimented with like, this is the time I have, when it takes you 20 minutes to get out the door because you forgot, you know, to charge something or whatever, that's 20 minutes you're missing in your workout. Um, and, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, actually, one of the one of my favorite things that you posted on your Instagram a while back, and I actually I think I saved that post because I liked it so much is that um, that Lauren Michaels quote, uh, which is a what is it? The, the show doesn't go on because it's ready. The show goes on because it's 1130. And I think that's like the exact quote. It's like, yeah, it's 1130 or it's whatever time I need to be out on my run right now if it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, that actually I stole from Tina Fey's memoir, yeah. uh, which I com- I commend to anyone. Uh, oh, it's not fabulous. only oh because I mean she's hilarious, obviously, and and uh, as a woman thriving in a, a traditionally male um, male field, uh, you know there's there's just so much gold in there for for everyone, but she's just such a, you know, the, the way she's mapped out such a, such a successful career is just so amazing. But that, that quote, what I really took from that and what I really think the intent behind it was um, that, you know, the lights come on at 1130 and if you're ready or not, it's, it's go time. And it's, it's, it's not unlike, uh, it's not unlike a race. I mean, we've we've all done uh, sporting events in which we've been really well prepared. We've all done them when we're not as well prepared. And, you know, in, in my experience, I know which I prefer. Uh, but just because things might not be perfect, uh, you've still you've still got to make make the best of it. Um, you know, when when. Uh, well, we were t- talking about that. I, I I got thinking about that um, that quote that's always ascribed to Voltaire about you know the perfect being the enemy of the good, and it, it, it's and so I thought you know that's one of those ones that I bet he didn't actually say it. So <laughs> I went back and looked, <laughs> and it turns out he kind of did. Um, it, it's actually an Italian phrase from the 18th century, but the the actual quote that he used is "best is the enemy of the good." And 
And the point, I think, was more that good will never be good enough as long as best is out there. You know, so, uh, so you'll never be satisfied with good as long as best is possible. And sometimes um, good has to be good enough. And that's, I think, particularly true for those of us who, you know, who pay to compete, don't get paid to compete. <laughs> you know, this is, this is admittedly sometimes a very pivotal part of our lives, but it's not our life. And, um, and sometimes we've got to just, sometimes getting out the door is victory enough. And, um, and, but that said, those times when we are ready to rock, um, you know, you got to capitalize on those. You got to grab those with both hands. For sure. For sure. And I mean, to to go to the, the Lauren Michaels thing, I mean, not every episode of SNL, I mean, heck, most, most shit, like most episodes have one terrible sketch in them. And it just, it Absolutely. wasn't ready, but it had to go on. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's exactly yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> and somehow that's been good enough for, I don't know, I can't think how many anniversary episodes, but what, 40 years? I believe no? 1974 um, was the first episode. I only know this because I'm, I only watch Saturday Night Live from the 1970s. I won't watch it beyond that. It's a weird thing I have. <laughs> that's. You know, I don't know about weird. That, that sounds rock solid to me. Uh, but it, it, at the same then. time, it's, <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not going to fight you on that. But but I mean, the thing is, is this is something that. Uh, and again, you know, you look at at those of us you could say weekend warriors or or however you want to characterize yourself, and and so many of these lessons in sport are really lessons in life. Um, you know, you're talking about a show that has. If, you know, it's had its ups, it's had its downs, but it's been on the air for almost a half century. And at some point, you've got to tip your cap just to that alone. And and I, I have to think that part of that is just by virtue of the fact that, you know, you you, you play the hand you're dealt and, and you learn from it and you say, okay, that didn't work. How can I make sure I'm not put in that position again? Um, you're never going to have that perfect day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, perfect. Okay. Now I want to shift gears a little no, bit. No, not perfect. Not perfect. Not perfect. Good. You good. meant good. I meant good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, anyway, shifting, shifting gears slightly, uh, obviously bike riding is kind of your, your main thing. I know you're training for Ironman right now, but we're going to say cycling is still your, your primary love, I'm going to say. Um, and you've, you've also been shifting you know, your law career into that more bike centric side of things, which I think is fascinating because it just kind of goes to show that pretty much any career path you're in, you can probably find a way to pivot it slightly to align with your hobbies. It might not be perfect, but there's usually some way you can kind of make it work. So how, how's that shift been? Like, it's been amazing. You know, it's, um, it's something that I honestly, started thinking that it was a way just for me to feel that little bit more passionate about what I do, um, to, to sort of bring a bit of a, um, uh, a progressive social take in, into what I do. And 
the deeper and deeper I've gotten into it, um, it, it's, it's been just incredibly rewarding. And, and by that, I mean, emotionally rewarding and, and, uh, uh, professionally rewarding. I'm not, I'm not talking money. Um, that said there, there are just far too many, um, uh, there are just far too many situations in which we have cyclists, uh, being injured or worse by drivers. And it's, uh, unfortunately, uh, it is a growth field. Um, I, you know, I keep saying I'd love nothing better than to put myself out of business, but, you know, if through, especially through the pandemic, you had a, a, a drop in significant, um, uh, you know, motor vehicle incidents you had, even in terms of pedestrians, uh, you wouldn't know it from some of the recent news, especially in, in uh, my hometown in Hamilton, where there's been a real spate of pedestrian injuries and deaths from uh, uh, motor vehicle crashes. But um, the, the need is there, and um, law, like just about everything else right now, is just starting to get so specialized. And uh, things where general... Uh, you know, generalists, as we'd say, um, you know, 30 years ago would have been perfectly uh, uh, capable, increasingly require that level of, of expertise. Uh, and it, it's my perception, as I've been doing personal injury work for the last 20, 22 years, something along those lines, is that Cycling crashes and and those obviously caused by motorists uh, in which cyclists are injured, they're they're special. Um, there are a lot of aspects to it that are different. Um, you know whether it be uh, prejudice that uh, society may have against people merely by virtue of the way they choose to get around. That is something that sometimes we have to contend with. Uh, whether it be other lawyers, whether it be a potential jury, what, whatever the case may be. Um, it's, it's tempting for a lot of lawyers to want to treat injured cyclists as they would injured uh, motorists. And, uh, and I think it's, it's really important that people who handle these sorts of files understand what it's like to be a cyclist in Ontario and, and how that then affects uh, the litigation process and um you know even even setting aside the distinctions between varying types of cyclists you know commuters and racers and and all of that sort of thing mhm mm yeah absolutely and i mean i can say from personal experience having been you know hit by doored by you know many cars over the years uh you know crashing in potholes and wrecking myself and my bike all that uh, i really wish that uh, this had been a more specialized uh, field of practice 15 years ago that would have been that would have been ideal for me <laughs> so i can attest to the need for this yeah and and i think an awful lot of us can um i mean and cyclists i in in my experience yes are there a lot of us who are you know, the driven, uh, you know, the lawyer on the, you know, the $15,000 racing bike. Sure there are. Um, that said, obviously the other end of the spectrum exists as well. It, it truly is a, it truly is a spectrum, but with the exception of that sort of real sort of, um, uh, you know, like I say, real driven personality, I think cyclists are also far more likely 
to engage in sort of um, uh, almost, I don't want to say uh, self-blame in the course of, of being involved in a, in a crash like this, but it's, it's intimidating. It's, it's, a, it's a very intimidating thing. I mean, I, I, I had that same experience being hit, uh, being right hooked in the course of, of an event and, you know, uh, got a group of a half dozen of us in a Grand Fondo in matching kit in a bike lane, doubled up on a false flat, and everything was perfect. We were doing everything right, and it didn't matter. And uh, so, so I got right hooked, as many, many of us have, and, and I did everything wrong. <laughs> you know, my, 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 my first reaction was afterwards was, okay, make sure I'm okay, and then um, and fortunately I was subject to some, you know, cuts and bleeding and that sort of thing. But, but then somehow my mind turned to, I need to reassure this driver that, uh, that they haven't, you know, killed or injured me because they were freaking out. And, and I, and my mind immediately switched to that's my responsibility somehow. Um, so I report, you know, I got everything reassured every, you know, I got patched up and carried on and, you know, and everybody went on their way and I reported it to the race organizers, but I didn't report it to the police and why not? <laughs> you know, it's, these are things that, that I would advise everyone to do, uh, you know, daily and twice on Sunday, you know? So it's, yeah. And I mean, can you um, speak on that? Like, it's not just necessarily about filing the report in case you wanted to sue, it's also because that way the township even knows like this is how many bike crashes or incidents we've had. Like that can change laws. Absolutely. Absolutely. Data is everything. And, um, and that, uh, you know, I was just uh, speaking with, with somebody who had a similar experience to me with, you know, right hook and had some injuries that thankfully appear to be, uh, appear to be minor. Um, but, uh, and I was just saying, you know, this is what we as cyclists need to do because, you know, unless we have numbers behind us, um, everything, it's just anecdotal evidence. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's absolutely a, a huge piece. Um, and it's, it's one that in the moment we probably don't think of. You know, not not everything is not everything is designed to give people grief. Sometimes we're just there to make sure that we're able to uh, provide data that then, in time, um, with advocacy and and numbers behind it, can then turn into infrastructure and um, and legislation that can protect more people. Mm -hmm. And you actually brought up a really good point a second ago, and we kind of went in a different direction, but not everyone, like m most people, I'm going to say, who actually do end up getting hit, it tends to be in, I, I'm going to say, more urban centers, and it tends to not necessarily be like cyclists, cyclists, like guys in spandex on road bikes, right? It's a lot of messengers and delivery people and commuters um, who just may not even have any clue how to handle getting hit like their main thought is how do I how do I get to work like I need to be at work right now I you know I'm getting paid for today so I think we're also kind of responsible for helping advocate for those people as well not just for for us absolutely uh, I I don't discriminate in the slightest I mean we're in Hamilton, we're fortunate to have admittedly some badly disconnected, but in places, some really good bike infrastructure. And we see 
I mean, you'll, you'll see people who are uh, riding bikes because they don't have a choice, uh, you know, whether it be economically or for whatever reason, they're not able to drive. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, no bones about it. If you are on a bike, have been on a bike, you know, identify uh, as a cyclist, you're a cyclist, um, full stop. And I mean, that's something that I'm sure you folks encounter all the time, but I sure do too. And, you know, when you do any level of riding and people become aware of it, they say, well, I'm not a cyclist like you. And, and yes, you are. Yes, you are. You absolutely are. And, and you have as much of an interest in uh, working to make um, Ontario safe for cyclists as anyone else does. We all have the same skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you if you are listening to this, and you do have sort of the the spare time or the the ability to do any of this bike advocacy work, I think it's it's so well worth doing it, even if the bike lanes aren't necessarily something that particularly affects you because you're riding out on gravel and stuff just like as a cyclist like giving back to the community and making your community more cycling friendly is just the right thing to do for so many reasons <laughs> this went in a totally a- different direction absolutely. but i know that that's a thing that's very important to you we actually had spoken gosh a year ago now for the ontario cycling association and we talked about you know what a bike lawyer thinks you should know and one of I was about to hang up with you, and that was actually something that you brought up to me was this reminder that you know not not every cyclist is I mean a a cyclist by choice or b a cyclist that has all of the resources that we do, and we need to remember like those riders as well when we're talking about bike advocacy and all of this stuff. I I see cycling advocacy as a social justice issue, pure and simple. Uh, I, I I see it as. This is, uh, cycling is something, you know, as people say, cycling can save the world. Um, whether uh, you go that far or not, um, I, I, I think that everyone, cyclist or not, has an interest in safe cycling infrastructure. Drivers do not want to hurt or kill cyclists. Yes, okay, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I mean, I can think of a recent uh, examination for discovery I did in which a, a driver had had killed a cyclist and this you know there's no way past it this this driver's life is ruined um he's never worked since um you know i'm not going to equate the suffering that he's going through to the the suffering that my clients next of kin and family are going through but being involved in an a collision in which someone is injured or killed is no picnic for anyone and 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 that's even setting aside the benefits that we would all experience from having uh, walkable cities and cities that are welcoming um, instead of intimidating. Uh, and you know these these are the sorts of cities where people want to live. They make economic sense. Um, they you know and and they make uh, sense from just wanting to live somewhere that is pleasant. <laughs> so. I, I don't. I don't see cycling infrastructure as being, uh, un, uh, even let alone exclusively the preserve of, you know, the forty-eight-year-old white cis straight lawyer like me. I see it as being something that is exclusive, in a way, if I can put it this way, exclusive to everyone. I think it makes cities better. And and it makes uh, and and it's uh, it's it's a social equalizer, quite frankly. It, it, it's something that 
when we make it better, we, we make it better for groups that um, have not historically been well represented. Uh, and, um, and I think that's a big part of it for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And now, do you have maybe a couple of tips for how people can, I guess, start even advocating for better bike lanes, but more bike safety, uh, all of that in their own communities? Would you, do you have any like starting points for, for people? Oh, sure. Yeah, it, it's, um, you can get into it in any number of ways. I mean, these sorts of things are often hyper-local. You know, you, you can talk about a group of parents who want a crosswalk put in in front of their kid's school. Uh, so they approach the city councilor and, and it goes from there. It can be just that casual. It can be one person with an idea. Um, in my experience, what I would usually suggest is think about what you want to bring to the uh, movement. Um, and, and the reason I say that is... In, in so many areas, particularly in, in social justice type uh, arenas, I think it's really important that we figure out who is already doing the work um, and, and, and figuring out, do your aims dovetail with someone who is already doing it and doing it well? Um, we, we, you know, it, we have strength in numbers, and uh, I think whatever we can do to pull stakeholders together into a unified voice is, a, is an important thing. So, and plus, that's an, an easier in. Uh, find somebody who is doing similar work to that which you aspire to, and and join them. You know, um, uh, you know, like uh, for me, um, you know, I meet people riding. I will, you know, in Ontario. Once you've paid for your uh, Ontario uh, cycling Ontario insurance, joining a bike club is like thirty bucks. Um, so I think I don't know. I belong to about eight. I'll, 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 I'll never, most of them I'll never ride with, but I meet people and they tell me about their club and I say, that sounds good. And, and they are often a springboard for advocacy. Um, you know, I can think of a couple where that's how they started and, and started from nothing. So, so whether it be clubs, whether it be uh, other organizations, I'm a former uh, director of the uh, Share the Road Cycling Coalition. They're doing a super important advocacy work on the legislative level. Um, ask yourself, uh, you know, what's, what's coming up? We've just passed through a provincial election. Um, we have municipal elections coming up in October. So this is a great time. You're going to have candidates at your door. Ask them where do they stand on active transportation, cycling infrastructure, uh, those sorts of things. Get those, get those answers and make sure that candidates know that this is important to you um, and, and work within your circles to, to make other people do that. Um, one last thing, if, if I may, I mean, not, well, two last things. Um, not everyone has the time to, to volunteer that's that's just the reality not everyone has the um the money to donate i i look back in my uh church life you know it, it's the same old thing you know you give your time you give your talent or you give your treasure so whatever you are able to contribute find a way to contribute that ask yourself what can i bring and then find a way to bring it um, and the last and easiest thing that I would say 
is, and, and this is something that's beautiful to watch when it happens, is introduce other people to the joy and benefits of cycling. Get kids on bikes. Get your friends on bikes. Talk about the benefits of bikes, whether it be the fact that you're not paying, you know, uh, over two bucks per liter for gas, uh, whether it, whether it, yeah, whether it be the physical benefits. I keep coming back to the emotional benefits. That is a huge piece. So introduce people to it. Make it easy for them. You know, like if you have a spare bike lying around, lend it to somebody. Um, you know, just just humanize it and and do what you can to share what you get out of cycling yourself. And uh, and and the more people we can get, even one by one, the stronger that movement gets. That's actually a really great point, and not one that you think you don't really think about, like introducing cycling to kids as advocacy, but it absolutely is. Because I mean. You, any any parent whose kid is now riding around, like, of course they want them to be riding safely and able to ride around their neighborhood safely. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to also end up on bikes. So it really is that the more people that are on bikes, there's almost this force to, to like, have to have this advocacy side taking shape. So I think that's a great point and a very easy we, one we for people fabulous. to do. <laughs> it is. It's and it's a joyful one to do, and it's a joyful thing to watch. There's nothing quite like somebody seeing somebody light up. You know, we all. That's ultimately the thing that I look back when when my great friend John introduced me to mountain biking, is that I remember and gosh, what was I? I would have been twenty or something like that, and um, it was the closest. I just remember that thinking this is the closest I felt to being a kid that I've experienced in years. And it is that, that joy of exploration and, and uh, freedom. And we can all feel that we see it in kids, right? Cause that expands their, their perimeter, but we can all feel that way, you know, and, and realizing that, yeah, you know what? Uh, sure. It's handy to have um, a bike share program. That's a great way to do it. Uh, but you know, realizing that, yeah, you know what, I can do my groceries by bike. You know, I, I you know, why, why don't I ride to the pharmacy instead of driving for five minutes? Um, you know, all those things, it's, it's just that little, like I say, joy is a word I just keep coming back to. And, and we, returning quickly to your point at the outset of, of this, uh, of your last comment, we've got a wonderful local charity in Hamilton called Bike for Mike. And it was, uh, one that's uh, focused on, it started out focused on, on mental health primarily because it was born of uh, um, a, uh, uh, a death by suicide and of a young man who was particularly um, uh, just loved bikes, world tra- you know, traveled uh, all over the world by bike. And the, the premise behind it was that, that his family wanted his legacy to be getting kids on bikes. And one of the reasons for that is that you're growing advocates. And, uh, and, and again, you're expanding that circle. And so uh, I think it's, that's why it's so important. You know, we all hear so many stories of people saying, you know, I'm, I'd love to ride, but I'm too scared. Um, those sorts of things. That's why we, it's so important that we address, address these safety issues. And, uh, and even as a lawyer, um, you know, as a lawyer, 
who is admittedly seeking compensation for people who've been injured or worse on bikes, that is a way, admittedly, and a highly imperfect way, but it is a way to um, amplify the voices of cyclists and to drive points home that, unfortunately, money talks. And, and sometimes that's the only way you can get people's attention. And it, it provides yet, yet another you know, forum through which you can advocate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, going going way back, you mentioned uh, you know you you've had the experience of getting hit. You got hit by someone who you know threw a right, uh, and you said you did everything wrong. Can you walk us through what you should have done? So what what we should do if if you know unfortunately we're in that kind of situation where we have gotten hit? Right. Okay, and I'm looking here and I'm thinking which of these did I actually do and. I think I can safely say it would be approximately none. Okay. Uh, it's mortifying. And it's, and, it's and, hard. And, and, and you know what? I'm going to say, like, we're going to have a PDF with sort of the step-by-step how to handle these altercations that's going to be available for people who listen to this podcast. You can go download it. We'll have the links to that. We'll mention them in the intro and outro. So definitely look for that. Because, I mean, in that moment, everything is happening, right? Adrenaline coursing through. Hormones are going crazy. Like, it's so easy to forget these steps. So you can be forgiven for it. But we're going to have the, the cheat and- sheet. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, yes, that's exactly what we need. And your comment about, you know, adrenaline flowing, that fits uh, in a whole bunch of different ways in which we're dealing with, say, other drivers or the police. And and that's something I'd like to touch on briefly later on. But in terms of when you get hit, um, first and foremost, make sure you're okay. Okay, so if um, and that's you're, you're checking your, you know, you're checking movement, you're checking um, you know, all the things that you'd think, um, you know, consciousness, breathing, all those sorts of things. Hopefully there's someone there to help you. Um, it's only then that you're turning your mind to the, um, uh, information gathering. So if I can talk about the safety element first, this is if, if say you're, if, if you're struck or if, uh, if you're present or come upon a scene where someone else has been struck, um, as, as, uh, as we all know, but as is so tempting in the moment to not pay attention to don't move people unless you're absolutely certain that they're, um, frankly, uh, intact, uh, that, that, that you're not going to do more damage than good. And one specific way in which you need to be particularly careful is if you are have been struck, don't allow anyone to remove your helmet unless uh, if, if there's any prospect of a head or neck injury, unless or until there's trained medical personnel on scene. Um, you know, you don't want to be messing around with anyone's head. Uh, uh, you know, waiting that five or ten minutes is 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 going to you know it's it's going to be important. Um, once you've once you've done that and you're in a position where uh, you know say if someone's in the road uh, make sure that uh, you know that traffic is directed around and all that sort of thing secure the scene then assuming that you've got that taken care of and someone has summoned uh, proper medical attention and, and then it turns into an information gathering exercise um, you're right the adrenaline is coursing 
uh, your memory is not probably going to be all that strong. So nowadays, this is not much of a challenge. Take a lot of photos. Photos include injuries. Photos include your bike. Photos include another car. Uh, photos include a license plate. Um, witnesses. Um, get names and identification of, of witnesses. That's something that almost invariably happens in bike or other collision cases that I see. You get people stopping and helping, and then they're just disappearing because nobody thought to, nobody thought to check. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, honestly, if you're kind of like kerfuffled at this point, video is probably a great option. And even just keeping it running is probably really wise. Well, and, and so many uh, uh, bike cameras now, you know, they'll automatically stop looping when, when a bike is horizontal or, uh, you know, some will send out alerts to family members if, if you're involved in a fall. Uh, you know, even your Apple Watch will do it. Uh, so, so yes, video, photos, whatever you can, whatever you can think of. And, and, and one of the, one of the reasons for that, and this is a little bit more specific is, you know, I, I, it's not often unfortunate or it's not infrequent, I should say, when you're dealing with cyclists where you're dealing with hit and runs. And one of the things that, that you're going to need to demonstrate when you're uh, proceeding with a claim on a hit and run, an unidentified driver is to be able to prove that there was in fact another driver. So that would be uh, a witness to say so, that would be damage to your bike that shows that it was struck, anything like that. So uh, tire marks, something uh, that corroborates that, that story. So over-document, um, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing with taking pictures on our phones, they're cheap. So, so, you know, bang off a lot of them. Uh, contact information for witnesses, information of uh, obviously driver ID for the uh, for the driver, insurance information. Um, those are all all really important uh, important steps and uh, identification of any emergency personnel who attend, particularly police. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned uh, when you were talking about your incident, and I completely relate to this. The you end up reassuring the driver that like everything's okay. Uh, and I know the flip side of that is, you know, the freak out at the driver, which justified, absolutely. But I imagine neither of those are really the the right way to be dealing with the, uh, the driver. Any tips for the actual, like, act of speaking to the driver? Typically... You're right. As always, the the right way to proceed is somewhere in the middle, right? Like <laughs> you don't want to be acting uh, either direction to standard deviations from the mean. But you um, being as calm as you can is is pretty much always a good thing in life. And, and in that situation, it is incredibly hard. Okay, because anyone who's been involved, even if it's just fallen off a mountain bike. I don't know anyone I've spoken to. And certainly my experience is you, you say it happens so fast, but then you think somehow time also slows down and you have time to, to sort of see what is happening to you in, in almost in slow motion. I, I still can close my eyes. I can't remember anything about the driver who hit me, but I sure remember the rear passenger on the passenger side who was staring at me as I was heading directly into her door. I can picture those eyes getting big. So, um, so anyway, uh, back to the actual question that you asked. 
um, the, uh, um, what I would suggest, and I think this is true again, when we're dealing with police and that's a, a, again, a topic I'd like to touch on briefly after this is, um, the first rule I would say is live to fight another day. Okay. We get in a collision, uh, we're struck by a car, you know, we are not going to change hearts and minds by yelling at people. Okay. That may be the automatic reaction and is entirely forgivable. It's not going to make a situation better, but it's completely understandable. So to the extent you're able to calm yourself and hear what a driver is prepared to say for you, People will, the law has long recognized that statements that people make in the heat of the moment tend to be true. I won't get into the details of that, but the old language is an excited utterance. When something, if people say something in the, right in the heat of the moment, they tend to tell the truth uh, because they can't check themselves. So if a driver is going to get out and and immediately start saying, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, I didn't see you. I mean, you came out of nowhere and all those magic phrases that lawyers lick our lips at because you came from somewhere and you were there to be seen. um, Let them say it, but don't feel the need to converse with them. Okay, Uh, this is not a time to worry about being polite. Look after your own interests. Um, and uh, make sure you're safe, make sure that you get medical attention, make sure you get the, 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 the minimum information that we've already talked about, and take care of yourself. Um, it is not our responsibility to be mindful of the feelings of others in the aftermath of, of of uh, 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 being crashed into. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, and, I think that we, like that cool, like just cold attitude is actually like way more terrifying to any driver than like you screaming at them. So absolutely. really, like from a absolutely. psychological, like if you want the upper hand, like that's how Peter always fights with me is like, I'm the one that's shouting at him and he's just like this calm, cool, collected and he wins every fight because of it. So... Isn't that the worst? (laughs) So annoying. So annoying. (laughs) Nothing worse than being in an argument with somebody who refuses to engage the way you want. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So no, that's, that's, that's true. You know, like, uh, you know, observe to the extent that you're able to observe as much as you can about the surroundings. Try to do that. Try to take some notes. You've got nine, you know, 99% of the time you got your phone in your pocket. Take some voice notes right on, right on the scene. What do you see? What's the weather? What caused it? What, where did they come from? Were they coming out of a driveway? Were they, you know, all of those sorts of things. And, and that's also a great way to, uh, to take down uh, information, take down insurance information, just put it into a voice note, a witness's name, get somebody to speak into your phone. What, what did you see? Just, what's your name? Boom. There it is. So now these are all easy things to say in, in the cold light of day. I, I get that. And this is, this is sort of the perfect reaction, but, but ultimately to, to answer your initial question, um, don't, you're not going to change anybody's mind. If someone feels that you were in the wrong, you're not going to be able to talk them into feeling differently. So don't bother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd say probably 90% of the time, the person 
somewhere deep down knows that they're in the wrong and is just rationalizing because as you said no one really wants to hit a cyclist except for like the very rare people who do it on purpose obviously but accepting them um accepting them no one really wants to do this so i think the automatic reaction is how can i make this not my fault and i think that's just a natural psychological like that's human nature you have you nailed it molly that's that is exactly right you are looking for you know, um, my brakes didn't work. Of course, your brakes worked. You were driving too fast. Um, you know, the sun was in my eyes. Well, you know what? Uh, yes, I don't buy it. You know, it's he sun. came out of it's nowhere. It's there every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That cyclist came out of nowhere. Well, no, they didn't. <laughs> you know, so often people, when they're saying these things, you're absolutely right, are trying to rationalize to themselves. Oh, my God, I can't believe what I just did. It can't, it can't be this simple. Something must have happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I know we're going to basically have to do a follow-up episode on this where we do maybe like audience questions because I think so many people are going to have so many questions. Um, but we only have a couple minutes left, and I want to wrap up. You mentioned we've mentioned the police a couple times, so I do want to make sure we get that in. Tips for dealing yes. with the cops. Very, very quickly on this. Um, I, I often say to clients, you know, when you're dealing with big insurance companies, when you're dealing with banks and stuff like that, just because they're big, don't assume they know what they're doing. And unfortunately, the same thing can apply to police. Um, I've certainly been involved in pullovers on club rides uh, where people have, for example, been riding in, in double pace lines and, and we've been pulled over by police and the police would cite the Highway Traffic Act and say, no, you can't ride two up in Ontario. And that's just not true. And um, and so same thing, I'd say the same thing applies in terms of dealing with the police. Um, make sure that uh, you live to fight another day. You know what? If you're going to get ticketed, God bless, take the ticket, deal with it later when you're not, um, you know, uh, you're not at 11 on a scale of 10. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's justifiable, it's justifiable. If it isn't, deal with it. Again, not going to change hearts and minds in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unfortunate, but but definitely true. And that's also that, you know, it is wise to know your, your rights as a cyclist, not that you're necessarily going to fight them in that second, but you should know them. So, you know, it varies by state, it varies by city. So knowing your local ones, knowing your province or state ones, just, you know, super, super helpful. Yes, in Ontario, it tends to be a bylaw. Uh, but in other parts of the country, it's it, it, or in North America, it can uh, can differ wildly, and that's true of all sorts of things. I guess there are a few things that I'm not going to have an opportunity to talk about today. I'm delighted with the prospect of being able to come back and talk another time on this stuff. But um, you know, helmet laws—that's something that that's important to consider, and and uh, and I'd love to get into um, you know, uh, equipment to carry with you on rides and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, um, we'll definitely have to do a follow-up. So, I mean, anyone listening to this, if you have questions for Ian, uh, definitely hit us up, uh, over on consummate athlete and Ian, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you as well? They can find me on, uh, I'm pretty much available on the various social medias, um, at, uh, at Velo Law CA. And so that's V-E-L-O-L-A-W-C-A. Uh, and 
Uh, also, uh, I've got a little bit of a, a placeholder website up for uh, which is at velolaw.ca, uh, and uh, you can reach me through any of those channels. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, Ian, we're definitely having you back on very soon. So everyone send in your questions for Ian. Ian, thank you so much. This has been just such a fabulous conversation on a philosophical, practical and legal level. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, that's kind of kind of you to say it's been uh, been an absolute pleasure as always. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 